Yes, just what the world was crying out for, another nondescript football podcast hosted by a small number of white men. Welcome to the Raven Football Podcast. I am Sam Renson. Joining me on our debut for podcast are Syria data scout Sam Dennis. Hello. Hello. And freelance sports writer who's had bylines in the cricketer, Matt Potter. Hello. How are you, gentlemen? You both well? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Good. Now, because there are two of us called Sam, we'll probably have to refer to each other our surnames on here. So I'm going to apologise in advance for making this sound like a stag do. But unfortunately, every boy born in the mid-90s was either called Sam or Matt or Tom. So for this first episode, we're going to go through the predictions we made for the season just gone. Yeah, I think it's actually quite a bold move by us because, I mean, we're really going to be showing how actually quite incompetent, how little knowledge we have off the back. So I'd be quite interested to see how people follow this up. I've gone back into the depths of our group chat to retrieve these. So just to confirm, you two haven't checked these since you made them. I have not, and I am very concerned about what I predicted. No, I also haven't. I will be honest. I was hoping this would actually probably never come up again. Yep. Yeah, me too. So yeah, first predictions were just the Premier League top seven. Although some people like top four or top six, but no, here we go. Top seven. I think that's what sets us out, really. You know, we're just adding that one little bit extra. Well, everyone's interested in who maybe qualified for the Europa League, but also maybe didn't because of the FA Cup final. So Does that mean next year we're going to have to maybe drop it down to like ninth or tenth, just so we can maybe get the conference in as well? I think we should do the full league, the full 20. Give us no chance at all. I'm not actually sure that would go very well, judging by how this is about to go. But yeah, I reckon that's an idea. So the actual top seven was Liverpool, City, United, Chelsea, Leicester, Spurs, Wolves. Uh, Dennis, you went City, Spurs, Liverpool, United, Arsenal, Wolves, Chelsea. So that is zero out of seven. Uh, any of them? No. Yeah, okay. No, yeah. Zero. Um, I went City, Liverpool, Spurs, United, Chelsea, Arsenal, Leicester, which is also zero out of seven. And uh, Matt, you went Liverpool, City, Spurs, Arsenal, Chelsea, United, Everton. So you actually got the top two. Yes. There you go. The only person to predict Liverpool would win. I am surprised I did that. But My first take would be from that is I think we may have all been a bit too high on Arsenal. Yeah. And Spurs. Spurs had a really bad year. And I had them, do I have them third? You had them third, I had them second. But I think then coming off the back of the Champions League final with Pochettino still there, I mean, nobody really could have seen what would have happened then just five months later in an Amazon documentary. Yeah, that's a very good point. This makes much more sense in the context of that Champions League final. Yeah, looking back at it now, August 2020, after obviously the mad year that we've had, I think, I think we can maybe let ourselves off on the Spurs one. But some of the other... I can barely remember last season, never mind the season before that. I am very concerned when being really hard on Spurs is going to take the rest of my predictions. So Yeah, it, that, the, trying to like get the top few right were probably not one of the ones I was most worried about. Probably more, some of the more like individual awards that I think I might have messed up. Okay, so we move on to the bottom three. Yeah. So the actual bottom three were Bournemouth, Watford and Norwich. And Dennis, you went Norwich, Newcastle, Sheffield United. Right, I already see quite a big problem there. Yeah, Matt, you went Norwich, Brighton, Sheffield United. Uh, that's one. I went Newcastle, Brighton, Sheffield United. So the p- thing is, here we all put Sheffield United to finish bottom. They did not finish bottom. But you two both put Norwich to go down, and I did not. So you can both have points for that. So well done. There you go. At least we're off the board. I'm happy about that. But you know, on reflection, Norwich were like really, really bad. Uh, so I don't think that's like a particularly bold prediction. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think anyone could have predicted Sheffield United to finish as high as they did. Um, so I'm not too upset about those predictions. No, listening to quite a lot of the other um, like journalists or reporters, I think most others would have also predicted Sheffield United to certainly not do as well as they thought, but definitely be in, involved in some form of relegation battle. So moving on to the Premier League top scorer, you two both put Aguero, and I put Sterling, and obviously it was Vardy. Now Sterling came fourth, so... 
I was closest, but still no points all around there. You can see what sort of angle we were going there from, expecting City to all basically over the mat, obviously win the league, and then to have the City players at the top. Yeah, I think Aguero probably was, still would have been a safe-ish bet. Obviously, he spent quite a lot of the season injured. Um, so I don't think it's like too, an out, too outlandish. And maybe if he had played the full season, he'd been a bit closer to um, to the top. So again, not overly disappointed with that one. Uh, but, you know, still no points. Now, moving on to the Premier League player of the season. Oh, God. Um, Kevin De Bruyne won that. Um, I put Sterling again for that. Right, okay. Sam Dennis, you put Bernardo Silva. Yeah, yeah, I'm obviously boasting in City. Now, Matt, do you remember who you picked for this? Yeah. Go. Do you want to explain your thinking? No. Um, I I went for Deli Alley. I'm sorry. What? Who was not very good this season? Like, I'd have been better off putting John Fleck. So that was. Did you actually think? I don't know what I thought. To be honest, it's um. I mean. It's probably, I don't think I can make any worse predictions, so at least we're getting this out of the way early. But That is true. Cause I, I get the, the fact that we were all obviously clearly quite high on Spurs, but would you not have thought maybe like Kane, if you were going to go down the Spurs route? don't or... have a clue what I was thinking. I know, like, maybe I thought last year was a bit of a down year and he might be better this year. Uh, he was not, so. Yeah, because he didn't even have a very good post-World Cup season. Like, he really struggled the season before. He's not been good for about four years. I don't know what I did. Maybe even Son? I, I, I really... mean, I'm like a massive Son apologist. I think if I was going to go for a Spurs player, that's probably where I would have gone, but apparently not. The only worst thing you could have done is if you'd gone Ericsson and they left halfway through the season. So I guess we can let you off for that part. I mean, I'm pretty sure Ericsson did more this season than Ali anyway. So <laughs> Our next category was the first Premier League manager to leave his position, whether that be resigning or sacked or any way. So that was Javi Gracia from Watford on the 7th of September. 7th of September, that is really early. <laughs> like Very early. That is, especially as they were involved, I know the obviously FA Cup final didn't go very well, but as they were involved in that in just May for then four months later. Should we have all seen that coming as it was Watford? Maybe, but none of us did. Yeah, I mean, it is a, there is a high turnover of manager at Watford, but like, you know, September is still pretty surprising. So, Dennis, you put Daniel Fark... Potter, you put Roy Hodgson, and I put Steve Bruce. The interesting thing about those is not only did they not get sacked first, they're still in the, all three of them are still in their jobs. Is that right? That is right. And I think more worryingly, so, yeah, that was good from us there. Is the fact that not only did Farker not get sacked, but it sounds like they were actually setting up for relegation the whole time and were completely fine with that and willing to go back to the championship. So in hindsight, I didn't really have a chance for that. There's a theme here with your predictions. <laughs> not that. No. I don't think I have one as outlandish as Ali getting player of the year. I don't know why I thought Roy Hodgson would go. I don't think it's as outlandish as Ali getting player of the year. I don't think, yeah, I think that's going to be like a peak of uh, questionable decisions. But I don't know, I suppose I didn't, I wasn't that high on Palace this year and maybe thought they might move on. But yeah, it's not, it's not a brilliant prediction. The Steve Bruce one I can kind of make sense of. There was instantly from the minute he got the job, the talk of when he would leave. So I can see where you come from that. And we did also probably go down again. I saw that you were close with Fark, even though he didn't get sacked. Obviously, Norwich doing terribly. Yeah, I mean, but they finished on around about 20 points in the end or 22 points. I mean, most managers should get sacked on that. I'm not advocating for managers losing their job, by the way. I don't want to get that sort of as like a reputation early, but I'm just trying to explain that point. Okay, so Champions League winner. Um, you two both put City, I put Barca. It was neither of them. I reckon us two come up better than you there, though. 
We don't come up very well after the Lyon game, but I think Barca's Champions League reputation might be slightly lower than City's at the moment. That is very true. Yeah, I don't think going City is like particularly bad. I know the way they went out wasn't great, but they got to the quarters. They were they looked good for most of it. Obviously, they were, did not look great against Lyon. I don't know why Pep decided to completely change his team against Lyon when they were perfectly fine as they were but I'm yeah I don't think that's the worst prediction or clearly not the worst prediction I made but yeah I could I could see why I went for that but maybe going to English teams two years in a row might have been a bit yeah a bit ambitious so I think it was um it was a good Champions League overall in my opinion I know I quite enjoyed the little tournament format at the end um obviously gutted that Atalanta didn't go through that was obviously the one we I think all three of us were really rooting for Atalanta yeah that was heartbreaking again I think we're all rooting for Leon as well. But again, we can't really argue. I don't think you can, anyone could argue that Bayern didn't deserve to win it this year. They were comfortably the best team in the competition. Oh, no, uh, definitely. From the really from the restart and even before then, they were playing such nice football. Since Kovac lost his job in November, I think, what is it? They've only drawn one game, something along those lines. They've won almost like 24 out of 25. So I really think that going into this, they were coming in as the strong favourites. Although, obviously, they're on the harder side of the draw, if you will. I think we can all agree they definitely played the best football. Oh, absolutely. And like they didn't like just beat teams. They battered most teams. Like, obviously they beat up Barca eight two. And the group back in the group stage they were walking all over teams like Spurs, like who we th- obviously we all thought would be really good. Even Chelsea in the last sixteen, I mean that, that tie was done in one leg and the second one was just sort of more of a formality really after the it was almost like a warm-up after the Bundesliga finished. For them. Yeah, it's basically a friendly for them. There was, you know, they, it was a foregone conclusion. I know, like, I think Chelsea didn't do themselves a disservice this year in the Champions League. Um, you know, Lampard's first year. I think they played good football. Obviously, they concede way too many goals. Yeah, that is one point which I can't. I do. I do think Chelsea, to be fair to themselves, did play some very nice stuff this year. And obviously, the amount of young players they were trying to bed in. I think it was quite impressive how a very new coach and that amount of young youth players did manage to get to the round of last 16, still finish in the top four, get to obviously the FA Cup final, which I appreciate they lost. But I am a bit worried, although they're making some very nice signings now for next season, I am still worried about their inability to set up a defence and their transitional play. Do you not think signing 35-year-old Thiago Silva is sort of a little bit backwards for a team that's like trying to promote youth? Or do you think he's... I like the idea of it because I think, although he's not, and he will have... I'm sure he would probably admit to himself he's not necessarily the best captain figure. He is obviously still very experienced and will be such an important leadership role in that camp. But I just think that they're not really addressing the issues that they need. No, I don't I don't think does Thiago Silva start for Chelsea for you next year? I think so. I think he will, because they're also I think they're rumouring on trying to get rid of Tamari, which I don't really understand because I actually thought he had when he did feature last season, I actually thought he played quite well. I wouldn't have had him down as one of the major issues. Absolutely not. I think, no, absolutely. I think he was excellent tomorrow. I think he was probably the standout centre-back for me. I suppose it depends if you count Aspilicueta as one of the centre-backs as he played as part of a three quite often this year. That's the thing. Aspilicueta now especially doesn't really fit into that back four they have because he's not, unfortunately, although he is a very good defender, he doesn't offer the attacking play going forward, which you'd expect from a fullback from a modern team like Chelsea, but also he's not an out-and-out centre-back, so he can't really fill that role. If you were to line up Aspilicueta and Thiago next year, I don't really see that being able to help them build on their position. No, that's a fair point, and I don't think he's got a place at right-back anymore. I think 
you've got to be playing Reese James now, otherwise you're going to risk losing him. After, yeah, after this. And lose, I think he's one of the best young fullbacks in the Premier League. I don't think there's any doubt that he should be playing first team games next season. So I think Chelsea have got to either play him or lose him. I don't think, but I don't see Aspilicueta moving on either. Like he's is he club captain? I don't see him going anywhere. He's been consistent for so long. Yeah, I am interested to see what Lampard does with the defence this year. Alonso probably moving on, maybe. Definitely shouldn't be starting next year. On the left-back front, I mean, I think rather than signing a 35-year-old Thiago Silva on a free transfer, although I agree that if that offer's there, it's kind of hard to say no despite the wages, I think they probably should have looked at left-back first. I know they are trying to bring in Chilwell. But there are obviously a few question marks about potentially injuries over him. But they cannot go forward with Emerson and Alonso. As good as both of them are when they're in a back three, as a just playing a solid back four, I just don't really think it'll work. I think Emerson's fine as the number two, but I think Alonso's probably had his time in the Premier League. I don't know. I don't know. He's didn't do badly last year, but he's never done badly. He just he very much fits the wing back role. He that's obviously because yeah. he clearly he struggled when obviously he was at Sunderland, but I appreciate for his sake that it wasn't necessarily just his fault. And obviously then he sort of got his career back on track in Syria again, and that was obviously lining up in a back five because he just that suits his attacking play, and he's always got somebody behind him who can offer a bit more substance if he gets lost. Okay, so moving on, our next category was the Europa League. Now it's quite hard to predict the win of the Europa League because you don't know which teams are going to end up in the final because obviously they drop out of it from the Champions League group stage. Now it was Sevilla that won it. I predicted Arsenal. Less said about that, the better. Matt, you said Roma. But Dennis, you did say Sevilla. Now, I know you may think that I'm actually just picking Sevilla there just because they've won it numerous times. It's almost a running joke now how much they follow it. But I think looking at the teams before the ones that dropped out of the Champions League, I think you can make a very strong case that other than the English teams, who probably should always take it a bit more seriously and probably if they put their mind to it, could win the Europa League. Sevilla were setting up as one of the clear better organised coaches and with Lopetegui now in charge although I know he had a well he's had a bit of a bad couple of years obviously the first of all the Spain instance which I don't really think was his fault although it might have been poor judgment and then obviously losing the Madrid job but let's be honest a lot of managers lose the Madrid job even if they do actually win the league he's clearly quite a good coach and clearly knows how to set up a team so him there and Monchi now back at Sevilla actually calling the transfers I, there's no reason why they shouldn't always be involved in like looking to go far in European competition. Well, I'd like to interject on uh, Sam Brendan's original point of uh, it's hard to predict who wins the Europa League because Sevilla always win the Europa League. So in hindsight, I probably should have predicted Sevilla. I mean, what, they won four of the last seven, something like that? I think it's like a safer bet than any if you're like... If you're taking this, these predictions and like trying to like, maybe accumulate a score, like, it feels that maybe one of the safer bets out there. Yeah, if you're looking at it logically, you can always. It's because other than a lot of other teams, they actually do. They genuinely take it seriously. They look at it and see it's it's another. To be fair, winning. Well, I think this is now the seventh UEFA Cup, if you will. So winning seven European trophies for a club of severe size is a massive achievement. That's always going to be the case. So I don't see why other teams like Aroma, which I think was actually quite a good pick because obviously they met in the quarterfinals, although it was a bit one-sided with Sevilla in that game. But teams like Roma's size and like Marseille, for example, should be looking at this competition as a good trophy to win. I think the attitude that Spanish sides have towards the Europa League is definitely something that 
teams from the rest of the leagues should definitely adopt, especially like English teams. Uh, like I know, you know, they've been English winners recently. Uh, you know, United have won it recently. Chelsea have won it recently. You know, you don't see them take it seriously till the semi-final, really. Whereas Spanish teams see it as a proper feather in their cap, and I totally agree. It's a it's a major European trophy after all, and unless you're one of the big big teams, you're unlikely to win the Champions League. It doesn't really happen. Exactly, winning the Champions League is such a lottery in itself that if you do happen to fall into the Europa League, whether you whether you're in the Champions League group and you say drop out of it, a bit like Inter did, and obviously I know they lost in what was actually an excellent final. But I do think that if just because you get knocked out of the Champions League group stage or even the knockout stages, that doesn't mean that your European season is over. No, absolutely. And I think the Europa League offers so much more variety. Like you look at the Champions League and you usually get you get to the last sixteen, you probably get fourteen teams you expect and maybe two outsiders. Whereas Europa League, you never know where it's gonna go. I know it usually does end up in Sevilla or in Spain in general. And that's like a common thing to predict, but like the 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 experience is a lot more enjoyable for me. I think you get to see teams you don't see a massive amount of. Uh you see teams that are a big surprise. I know Shakhtar usually do quite well in it, but or they do quite well, you know, compared to their size. But I thought they were great to watch this year. They have some really interesting players. I think they're interesting tactically. I personally would have liked them, you know, to make the final. I think that would have been a really enjoyable final. However, obviously, uh, Inter were far and away the better team in the semi-final. I don't think there's any doubt in that. Seems like on on your Shakhtar point there, teams like Shakhtar and a couple of years ago when we had Frankfurt uh, under Kovac are really what makes the Europa League. I think because you see so many good up and coming players who then like that Frankfurt team. Obviously, you had Jovic who went to Madrid. Haller, who unfortunately obviously has moved to West Ham, hasn't quite worked out. But I think it's such a good proving ground and such a good way for some of these clubs to show off their assets and show off their ability and talent that I just don't understand why more aren't looking at it. Is that an opportunity? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it should go understated that Rangers actually had quite a good run in it this year. I know they, I know it sort of petered out a little bit after, like due to the COVID break, but like in the like pre pre lockdown, I think Rangers were really exciting in the Europa League and like. No, definitely. I mean, I don't watch a massive amount of Scottish football. I'm happy to admit that, but I thought they were like actually a really interesting team. It's interesting to see what Gerard is doing as a manager. Um, obviously, I think seeing teams like that that you don't usually watch is something that is you know a good a good thing about the Europa League. Like even the teams in the Champions League, like Spanish teams in the Champions League, German teams in the Champions League, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, you see a fair amount of them because they're the big teams they're the teams that are on telly so if you've got you know if you're watching some La Liga you're watching some Syria you're likely to see the same teams as you see in the Champions League so seeing teams that are you know a bit further down the table that don't quite get as much TV but you can still watch them in the Europa League and uh, see them face up against teams from all around Europe obviously you get more variety in the Europa League it's not mainly from the top five leagues. It's, you get to see teams like see like Shakhtar from the Ukraine, you see teams like Basel from Switzerland, etc. I think it's just a more varied competition. That I definitely think... I know there's some... Because it goes on a lot longer than Champions League and there's some more rounds. So you do get some dull fixtures. I don't think you see any more dull fixtures in the Europa League than you do in the Champions League. You get some rubbish Champions League fixtures in the group stage, but I, don't, I think people are 
quick to jump on and criticise the Europa League when often in the later stages you see it see great games. It's a lot less stodgy in the later stages. I think Champions League can get a bit uh, compact and teams can just try not to lose as opposed to trying to win. I think that is less of a concern for teams in the Europa League and you get to yeah discover players you might not know much about. Um, yeah, overall, I think it's a uh, very underrated competition uh, and I'm looking forward to next year, which probably started last week. <laughs> I think that's a really good point, especially on the, just going back to your, what you raised about the group stages, how you obviously, I know the Europa League group stage, especially as there seems to be about 18 groups, does seem to get quite a lot of criticism, but I would always rather, I'd rather sit down and watch a game, just for example, say it's Rangers, um, Gimaresh, you know, you know it's actually quite a competitive fixture, fixture rather than, say, sometimes putting on a Champions League game, it might be Barcelona, Zagreb. It's no disrespect to Zagreb. I think they're an amazing team. They do some amazing stuff, and they have such a good youth system. But you know, realistically, that's probably going to end up 5-1. So you're not really going to get the same competitive flair that you might from looking at a tighter group. Yeah, I completely agree with what you were saying about English teams in the Europa League. I think they have massively underperformed, especially over the last 10 years, when you consider the amount of resources that they have compared to the amount of resources that their opponents have. Premier League teams have way more money. See, um, that's actually such a good point because I actually, after Sevilla obviously won the Europa League again last Friday, I actually looked this up on the Saturday and currently, well, this is as of February this year, so just before the COVID stuff hit, which I'm assume has affected this quite greatly, Sevilla were ranked the 49th richest club in world football. But funnily enough, four spaces ahead of them were West Ham, five ahead of them were Crystal Palace and six ahead of them were Bournemouth. Obviously, I know Bournemouth have now been relegated, but I think that really does put across your point that if English teams wanted to, they really could be such a dominant force in this every season because they just have the resources, they can offer the wages, the transfers. They even Sevilla, who finished joint with Atletico in La Liga, so technically joint third, they just cannot match teams of mid-table side on that. Yeah, I thought that the Arsenal-Chelsea final last season was going to be the start of an English dominance of the Europa League, but evidently not. I totally agree with you how English teams should definitely be put more effort into it. Uh, like I said, I know they maybe will put their best team out in the semi-final or the final, but like if you're an Arsenal, like I know maybe Wolves played their best team this year. I think the Wolves' approach this season is actually quite refreshing because they clearly are a team with massive ambitions at the moment. Obviously, they've got you can make what you want about their ownership and all their links to the agents, but they are a club who clearly want to build their brand. And they've identified that if they can get in the Champions League, obviously that's a massive step. Getting in the Champions League in the finishing through like the league table is obviously such a challenge because of the amount of strong teams and teams like realistically who will be looking at it. So they've identified the Europa League as a good approach for that. But I think they've also realised that getting to the quarterfinals of a European competition, regardless of the competition, does help put them massively on the not just the European, but the world stage. And I think they won quite a lot of plaudits, both over here and in Europe itself, of how they've approached it this season. Okay, interesting stuff, chaps. So moving on from Europe to the English Championship. So we had to predict the three teams that would get promoted. And now that was Leeds, West Brom and Fulham. Now we actually did quite well here. Dennis, you put West Brom, Fulham and Stoke. Matt, you put West Brom, Derby and Bristol City. I put Fulham, Leeds and Stoke. Which my observation from this is, it's always said how competitive the championship is, and it is, but between us, we've managed to predict all of the three teams that got promoted. I do feel actually quite generous here of you saying how we've actually done quite well when me and you have predicted Stoke and they did finish 15th. The other points are fine, but that may have been slight miss, miss on our side. Yeah, I think also I predicted, looking at the championship table, I predicted 
you know, second, which is nice, and tenth and twelfth, which is less nice. So I think as much as, you know, it's all of us had a stab and we got you know, we all got at least one team that got promoted, which is good, but uh I don't think I think part of the unpredictability is there is always a team that we don't really expect. Uh or at least maybe maybe this year it was a bit more like it with teams that we actually expected. But you know, Brentford got to the final and none of us would have been no, no yeah, one would have expected Brentford. which comes out of nowhere, puts a bit of like a runner form, especially in like the second half of the season. They could might be sitting in mid table. They put a good run together and they're coming into obviously the playoffs and you really do start to get behind them, but up till then you may not have even considered them. Yeah, like I'm looking at the table now, like Preston nearly got playoffs and I would have had Preston way near the bottom. Like um, I think the championship is a brilliant league. I probably enjoy watching the championship more than I enjoy watching the Premier League. Like it's a very fun league. There's the, the games are usually you know, at least a mild version of chaos. There's always interesting teams, interesting tactics. Yeah, I think especially in the championship with teams willing to take a punt on upcoming foreign managers, such as Huddersfield a few years ago uh, with David Wagner. No one had predicted they would get to the Premier League or anywhere even near, even if they did play in you know, the potentially the worst playoff final of all time. I had the uh, displeasure of attending, but I think there are some fantastic managers that, you know, fly under the radar in the championship and then once we get once the team gets promoted to the Premier League then they'll usually be poached by you know Watford or Spurs but uh, I think it's a fantastic league overall. No I completely agree and on the manager front especially I mean I know it's been made a lot of but I am still surprised that Marcelo Bielsa was managing in the championship and I just cannot believe that I, all right, I, I accept I didn't like predict them to finish in like and get promoted but that was mainly just because I thought it'll be inevitably will be a very lead thing to finish, have an amazing season, drop into third, and then lose in the playoff final, like unfortunately have done on so many occasions. But just going back to another point raised about like young foreign managers coming through, I have been so impressed with Thomas Frank at Brentford. Obviously, he came through the Danish system and as obviously was manager at Bromby beforehand. But I just think it really shows how innovative they've been recently. Since really they had Mark Warburton going back to 2013, and obviously how amazing progress he made under them. Obviously, once he left, they bounced around a little bit before having Dean Smith in for a couple of seasons. But now then to have Frank now, and obviously their scouting model obviously gets made a lot of. And I know a lot of people are sick and tired of talking of this, just to use the amount of analysis that it gets. But I think it really is an impressive system. And I don't know why more championship teams aren't looking at this. Rather than buying players who may have dropped down the leagues, can't really find a club to settle and obviously pay them high wages, as a number of other clubs have done previously, Brentford obviously are looking at markets like, say, for example, the French second division, which has a lot of talent in it and isn't being picked up enough. And they're finding players on the cheap. So whether they bring them in and obviously they help them almost get promoted, unfortunately, obviously they just missed out this time. But now they're looking at, like Ben Rama, for example, they're now looking at getting maybe 20, 30 million for him when beforehand no other club would even have taken a chance, really. We also predicted one team that would get relegated from the championship. Now, the three teams that were were Charlton, Wigan, after the points deduction, and Hull. Uh, Dennis, you said Barnsley finished 21st, so good guess. Matt, you said Luton 19th, not a bad guess either. I did say Charlton, who went down, so a point for me there. Very nice. Just on the Wigan point, I just feel so sorry for their fans because they were playing so well and like around that mid-table, around that like mid-period Christmas side when they were playing so well, had such a good win form. I think it was only actually Brentford 
who were ahead of them on form at the time. And then just to have the madness which has happened over the past few months just completely ripped the soul out of the club. I just feel so sorry for them. Yeah, I've never been comfortable with points deductions as a punishment because they really just punish the fans rather than the owners that it's supposed to punish. And from the club side, it just sets them up horribly for next season because now they're obviously, having had that relegation, they're clearly going to have to, unfortunately, they're going to lose some of the players anyway because some of them were performing very nicely, but they're going to have to sell others to try and balance the books a bit. And it just means they're at such a disadvantage going ahead of the League One season. It could happen to anyone. It could happen to, I'd say, any team in the Championship. So I don't see any of them that don't have something that could go wrong. Uh, none of them are massive superpowers. Uh, like, you know, it was never going to happen to Wolves a few years ago, for example. So I definitely think the, uh, especially now after the uh, coronavirus uh, situation, I think sympathy is definitely to be with Wigan fans. And especially, I don't think they'll be the last team. I think there's a lot more to come. I think it's going to be a rough. Well, there's so much more to come. And it's almost going on. Hey, there's also a bit of an elephant in the room when you read about previews for the next season, about how many of those clubs in League One and Two rely on gate money to survive. And under the current restrictions, they won't be able to get any of that revenue. Yeah, I could... Well, Matt, already on the National League. And then we've had the Sheffield Wednesday point deduction as well already. It's already, unfortunately, it seems to be starting to take fruition. Yeah, I can't... I'd, I'd be surprised if we went through next season without another team, you know, entering administration. I'd be genuinely surprised if another team in the top, you know, in Championship League 1, League 2, there's not another team or more that enters administration next year. It's just, it seems inevitable at this stage. There's just, you know, it's, teams are hanging on by, you know, hanging by a thread anyway. And then this has just been a complete disaster for them. There's a very real chance that we won't see fans in stadiums this year or the first half of next year. Like, I'd be, yeah, staggered if if you count the three three leagues, not including the Premier League, I'd be staggered if the seventy two teams all survived. Unfortunately, yeah, no, I think we'll see so many more. Te- I think we'll see so many more teams. I mean, it could even end up with the teams in League One and Two having to go to sort of part time regionalised football, while Championship breaks away into a sort of Premier League Two. Now, I, I hope that, that doesn't happen. They've suggested, really? although I completely understand the idea of it, and obviously the idea is to try and maybe protect some of those teams. But I think it just greater hyphens up the gap between the the bigger teams even in the championship to the lower ones where if you fall into that you're just going to unfortunately it's such a slippery slope i don't see how some of them can get back yeah i think it might be a little while before the wage cap really starts to affect things because i know like if your players are on the current contract it doesn't count or it's you know it's there's there's a way they've gone about it so that like teams like Sunderland for example will still be able to keep most of their players obviously on the basis that they go up next year which you would hope they could with the squad they've got but uh I think yeah definitely longer term I think there's a very real chance of um a bigger split due to the wage cap it just puts the great emphasis now on teams like Sunderland like you mentioned obviously Charlton Hull who dropped down now it really they're going to see themselves they might end up almost betting the farms to try and get back into the championship to avoid the situation, which unfortunately could maybe even put them in a worse situation than they already are in. Okay, so moving on from the championship to the European League, because I'm not quite sure why I've done it this way round, but here we go. So Syria, obviously Juve won Syria. No, I did predict Juve. You two both went Inter. Now, was that a case of you actually expected Inter to win or did you just hope that someone other than Juve would win it this year? Mine was a bit of both almost. Now, I... I have no ill will towards Juventus. I know obviously I fully respect them winning it so many times in a row, but it's a bit like a lot, well, quite a few European leagues at the moment. I would like to see that broken up a little bit. 
and that's not against themselves, like I say. But also, I did fully believe in Inter Milan this season, obviously, with Conte coming in. And as the specialist that he has built himself, having, I think this is actually the first season after the Europa League final defeat where he hasn't won a trophy in his first year. So I did fully expect them to provide a bit of a title race. And to be fair, they did the whole time. I do kind of accept that despite they only finished one point behind in the end, that was a bit of almost false information because Juventus did wrap it up with three games to go. But I will be honest with Pirlo coming in now and Conte obviously news breaking today that he'll be remaining. I will probably be predicting Inter Milan to follow up again next season. Yeah, I completely agree. I fully think that a Inter with Conte has the potential to beat a Perlo-led Juve to the title. No, completely. I also just don't... This Juventus team, it's such a weird one at the moment. They've obviously bringing in Ronaldo a couple of years ago and obviously bringing Benucci back and they've still got the example like Chiellini, Buffon, although obviously I know Buffon's not really involved much on the day-to-day basis anymore. But it's such a weirdly built team. It's it's built to win now, but it's not got the right parts to perform as they should. And I don't have I don't have anything against Ronaldo in that sense. You know, he's such an amazing talent. But I just think having him there does throw out this squad a bit. And it'd be interesting to see how Pirlo handles that and deals with that. I do think he actually might be better in that case than other managers which may have come in because he can, from a talent side and from a personality side, he can at least relate in that sense to somebody of Ronaldo's stature. So I do think maybe he can get the best out of him. But I just think from a team side, Inter seems so much more organised and they've obviously bringing in players like Hakimi, potentially getting Tonali over the line. They seem to be building a better squad than Juventus have currently. Yeah, with Juventus, it feels like they've sort of bet on Ronaldo to win the Champions League. And that doesn't seem to be paying off. They seem to be paying for it in league form. And I've managed to get away with it this season, but it's interesting whether they will this season. If Juventus now the chance to win the Champions League next year, but finish third, I'm certain they would take that without even thinking about it. Yeah, um, yeah. on the original point you made that, you know, did we just want someone else to win uh, Syria, yes. Um, also, my logic was sort of surely they're not going to win it again. Like I sort of, I feel like I probably did this in Germany as well. I'm not sure yet. I'm sure we'll get around to it, but I just felt like surely, surely they're going to end up not getting over the line eventually. Like they can't just keep winning. And obviously, they did this year. It was a lot closer than before. Uh, and I, I'm probably going to bet against them next year. I think. Definitely, uh, they definitely seem to be a team in transition. I've seen, especially like today, they admitted that they're going to be moving Higuain on. I think you know, the old guard is probably starting to move on. Uh, I know Ronaldo scored a lot of goals for them, um, but he's also scored a lot of penalties and he's not blown. I know it's a lot of goals, so obviously it has helped them win another couple of titles, but I don't think he's been like staggeringly good for them to be honest. I think he's been good, not great. I think I don't think you know, we'd have been surprised if you put his stats and just replaced his name with Gonzalo Higuain over the last two years. You think, yeah, that seems about right. I don't honestly think the signing has been that beneficial other than obviously a couple of Champions League performances, which neither season they managed to win the Champions League either. So I think the whole experiment is not being quite the success that they imagined. And I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there's more than just Higuain leaving this uh, this offseason. I think there's 
potential for a bit more of a bigger overhaul as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've already had, obviously, like, Matuidi's gone to Inter Miami. I believe Kadira's obviously getting released or going on a free transfer as well. Obviously, Pjanic is involved in the Arta swap, which, from a player side, I mean, Arta does help them get a bit younger. I do think Pjanic is obviously such an amazing talent. It would be a shame to lose him, but I know they are trying to... But this is why they're a bit strange, really, because they're in this transitional period where they're clearly trying to get younger. But then they've also re-signed Benucci a couple of years ago, offered Chiellini another contract. They've obviously clearly paying Ronaldo so much money. They're sort of almost caught between two. They're not really sure which way to go. They clearly want to go down the Champions League route with Ronaldo. But I think they're also accepting that if that doesn't work, maybe say next season, is that likely going to happen? And then they don't really want to be caught out and then faced with the huge financial hit of trying to rebuild a whole squad in one go. I'm still surprised that Matuidi went into Miami. I still think he can cut it at top level. I'm surprised more Europeans or any real European teams didn't take any sort of notice. And as far as I'm aware, I haven't heard any rumours of anyone. Even if it was like a, maybe like a Roma. I mean, to be fair, maybe he just wants an early retirement in Miami, in which case, fair enough. I mean, we would all take him out. So moving on to La Liga, and obviously Real Madrid won. Um, me and Dennis both put Barca. Uh, Matt, you put Atletico. What was he thinking there? I don't think it's too outlandish to think a you know a Simeone's led Atletico could win another title. Um, I see Barca and Madrid as teams not at the peak of their powers. I think I still see them in that way. I know uh, Madrid's form and this you know post lockdown uh, and the second half of the season in general was pretty staggering. To be honest, they're fantastic in the league. It's hard to deny, but. I don't think it would have been that surprising to see Atletico win it this year. Obviously, finishing third, Jolt de Sevilla, isn't that impressive. But at the start of the year, you think they are a well-led team. They've got they bought well, in my opinion. They're well-managed, obviously. Um, everyone knows how they're going to play. But I wouldn't have been surprised to see them win it at all. Or maybe I was being a little bit ambitious and wanting a bit of difference, like I did in Syria. But... I don't think Barcelona or Real Madrid were great this year. And I just think it, even though they finished 17 points off the title, I think that it's still an opportunity missed for them. I think this was as good a chance to win the league as any. See, I will, I must admit, I'm actually going to have to disagree with you slightly here, is I completely agree with the ability of the squad that you've raised there for Atletico. They've got some amazing players, but I think the signing of João Felix really showed something for me. Is he is clearly such a unique and amazing talent for his age, and obviously the money they spend on him. But I just unfortunately I don't think that Simeone is the right man to try and get the most out of him. I know they've been trying to transition for the last few se- seasons from more obviously away from their defensive side into a more free flowing attacking side. But this season, I mean, they had sixteen draws in the league, and that's just that's too many. And I think unfortunately you're always going to have a roundabout that result with Simeone I love Simeone as a coach he's amazing I'm not taking any thing away from him there but I think if they're really wanting to move on and play this more attacking free-flowing entertaining football which I know they are trying to obviously with the new stadium to try and obviously build that global brand again I just unfortunately don't think he's the man to take them forward anymore I think that's a fair point but I think it's a fair also fair to say like I don't see them wanting to lose Simeone in case goes the other way and they finish, you know, ninth or tenth. Yeah, it's no exaggeration to say that a Atletico post Simeone would almost be as transformative as a Man United post Ferguson. He's that intertwined with that club. 
No, I completely agree with that. Because there's always that chance that if you lose somebody of that stature that you're you're going to find it so hard to replace. And realistically, at the moment, they can't get rid of him because he's on so much money. I think he's roughly around about 30 million euros a year, which makes him the highest paid manager in world football. So that's not really something that they can just... They can't eat up that money if they were to look to replace him. Because I know at times this season, the fans were a bit disappointed with obviously how the results were going. Because like you pointed out, Matt, obviously, this is not a vintage Barcelona team. It's not a vintage Madrid team. Madrid, again, are in a weird transitional phase where they're trying to get younger but can't seem to step away from the older players. Barcelona clearly have their troubles from ones that go far deeper than the playing squad or even the coach now. It clearly goes right up to the top. So this is a time for Atletico where they should be able to press on and should be able to mount a serious title challenge again. And they have the players to do it, but I just think they're caught in two minds about where to go. I think La Liga uh, in general this year um, was a bit bizarre, really. I think like no teams that we expected to be brilliant were brilliant. Teams that, we, teams that I were really high on, like Real Betis finished 15th, and I was really high on Betis. I thought... They'd maybe be pushing for Champions League, definitely in in and around the Europa League. They were massively disappointing. I just don't think Betis were the same Betis that we've been used to in recent years. Uh, in high scoring games, entertaining matches, you know, really interesting players, an interesting coach, obviously who moved on. I just massively disappointed by Betis. I think Valencia were a big disappointment. Finishing ninth for Valencia is, I think, definitely viewed as a, a bad year, especially when there was a comfortable chance of making the Europa League like I know they only finished three points off the Europa League in the end and it was really tight in around there um but I don't think that they will be happy with that whatsoever yeah I just I think it was a bit of a weird year I think a lot of teams will see this year as an opportunity missed going into next year I think a lot of teams will have high hopes obviously Sociedad and Bilbao will go into next year already in a final final still to be played when fans are available to be in the stadiums which is an interesting situation to be in but see I quite like that I quite like the um the Bass teams obviously having it as the first Bass final I believe they're obviously now waiting and they want obviously their fans to be involved in that due to the rivalry between them I'm quite excited for that next season Oh, I absolutely cannot wait till the game. It's um, it's going to be fantastic. I'm really, really looking forward to it. It's a bizarre one for teams to go in with pressure of a final sting ha- still hanging over them at the start of the year. Not certain when they're going to play it. Especially, yeah, I think this year is going to be very interesting. Definitely going to be a transitional f- year for a few teams. And I think there's maybe a few surprises as well. I've got some previews coming out on La Liga. Uh, I'm previewing each team on our social uh, platforms. And... I really think there's going to be some big surprises this year. Obviously, I think Betis cannot be bad, as bad as they were this year. I think teams such as uh, Valencia will probably finish back in Europa League. But I also think there might be some big surprises this year. I don't think... I think Celta are on for a much better year. I mean, they narrowly avoided relegation this year, which not good enough for them really I think yeah I think it's going to be a really interesting year in La Liga and I'm uh, looking forward to covering it so then we are moving on to the Bundesliga obviously Bayern won it me and Matt we both put Bayern then it's stupid Dortmund oh god I'm seeing a common theme here of my Inter Milan over Juventus Dortmund over Bayern it's almost like I would like a bit of change and maybe a bit of a romantic it is just hope isn't it it's, and that's it's the hope that kills you my point that I would argue here is I mean I know Dortmund obviously did finish second it was very tight between those top well the top five other than Bayern in the end ended up quite tight but obviously going into the season I will happily admit that under Kovac I thought Bayern might not be able to find the levels that they eventually did and they might 
be in that sort of still in that transitional period. But then since obviously Kovac lost his job end of October and Hansi Flick's taken over, I mean, they've just gone from strength to strength. And it's you can make a case now that they are probably one of the best setup teams, one of like the top three setup teams in world football to be able to press on, really. Yeah, I totally agree with your point. I think um, the Bundesliga season as a whole was, you know, pretty standard, in my opinion. It's like pretty par for the course. You know, they buy and don't start off brilliantly. You, Everyone thinks that Dortmund may sneak a win and then the rest of the season happens and Bayern are first. It's a shame. I'd have loved Dortmund to win it. I always thought they could have won it. But as soon as Bayern made the managerial change, it was night and day. They, in the end, they ended up walking the league. I still think there's some interesting stories from this year gone by. I think, obviously, Leipzig's uh, Champions League run was... Actually, I know a bit of a stigma around the club, their own shit, but I think they're a great side. They've got interesting young coach, got interesting players. I think they did fantastic to get where they did the Champions League. They're ready again next year. Nice third place finish. So I think they've been a good story this year. I was really high on Mönchengladbach at the start of the year. Um, they did get fourth overall, which I'm, you know, I think is really good for them. It'd be good to see them in the Champions League. Well, there was a brief period, really, around about. I think it was around about October, November time when Kovac lost his job and Leipzig and Dortmund were there or thereabouts, but Gladbach was sitting top at the time. And I I will be completely honest with you, I did start to get behind it and maybe even just for like a few days, just start to think what if can really press on here and actually do something impressive. I still think they had an amazing season, obviously, and to, to get back into the Champions League is huge for them financially. But then you, even then you'll have teams like Leverkusen who obviously finished strong and we disappointed to miss out. They'll be coming up well. Obviously, there's a likely chance that Hertha will now press on, which I think will be good. Because obviously there's always those things that get thrown around about Berlin being one of the big major cities that's never really had a, a top team, if you will. But obviously they've now got the backing, starting to get some of the pieces in place. I think that could be quite interesting for next season to really see how they press on. Yeah, absolutely. Like looking at the table, like Hertha finished 10th and Union Berlin finished 11th. I mean, Union, that's like a pretty fantastic result for them, you'd probably say. I mean, finishing ahead of Schalke, which obviously we could talk about as well. Schalke had a very disappointing year. Um, I mean, for Schalke, it's, yeah, like you say, obviously, it's finished 12th, and, but not even so much the league season, just to be, just to really, everything around the club at the moment, the financials, the the worry about how they're going to press on, they're unfortunately likely going to have to sell some players. Like I know Weston McKennie's getting linked with endless amounts of roles, and you just think, if they start to lose some of their top, they're not getting that European money anymore. Is this going to be like another Hamburg almost? Are they just going to slowly slip down before inevitably dropping out? Uh, I, surely Schalke are too big for that to happen, but you never know. It's hard to say exactly what I think will happen to Schalke, to be honest. I think they can't be as bad as last year. No, I I, I would be very surprised if they, if they finish, obviously, outside the top half, if you will, next season. But if they lose a couple and they clearly don't really have any resources to bring anyone in, it's... They're going to have to highly rely on their youth team, which I know over the years has got them out of trouble. But every time they seem to have an amazing youth player, they inevitably just end up on a free transfer to Bayern. So. Absolutely. I'd also like to um, just have a quick mention of uh, Hoffenheim, who finished sixth. Obviously, they're in the Champions League this year, so it's not quite what they were um, you know, hoping for. But I still think they were uh, quite an interesting team overall to watch. Um, I think they have the potential to be pushing for the top four again next year. I know they weren't 
particularly close to it this year in the end but I still think that they have the talent and the resources compared to some of the other teams that they might push on I mean you look at the top six now and you think it looks like a quite solid top six it's sort of becoming like the Premier League top you know First to fifth, looking at a really solid monopoly of teams. I mean, Wolfsburg went a million miles off Hoffenheim, but I don't see that happening again. And then I think other than looking down the table, other than maybe Frankfurt and obviously Schalke, like I don't really see teams not definitely breaking into the Euro- European places. I think see, I, I do think Hertha will next season. I, I'm very, I'd be very optimistic in expecting Hertha to maybe if they can look to make a couple more smart signings to maybe push into that top six, maybe even have a looking at slipping into fourth, depending what happens with... Because it's unfortunately, it seems to be most of the news coming out of Germany, although quite a lot of their teams are financially stable, they're obviously very financially intelligent as well. So they are looking at, like, for example, Leverkusen shifting habits for a massive fee. There's obviously a lot of talk around about Umbocano at Leipzig and obviously there's a few others that I think if the right offer came in, some of these teams may sell one of their better players, which could potentially leave them up to a bit of weakness for next season. But obviously, in the long run, it'll benefit them. But I just think that might give the opportunity to a herter who have the more financial backing behind them to be able to think, yeah, we'll take advantage now. Okay, so now moving on from leagues into our final and most ambiguous category, the any general predictions category for the season, which can include stuff like themes, flops, narratives, anything really. Now, I'm going to spoil it for you here, gentlemen. Nobody put that the season will be delayed by an unprecedented global pandemic. Oh, see, I had it right on the tip of my tongue. I was picking between that and another, and I oh, just didn't go for it in the end. Anyway, what are the ones that you put? So we'll go through Matt's first. One of the ones that you put was VAR handball pens mean an obscure penalty taker scores 15 league goals with 10 from the spot, Milja Vojevic being my guess. Now, I have checked. That did not happen. But that was that was the sort of thing that people were expecting to happen, weren't they, at the start of the season with the introduction of VAR? Yeah, and I think a lot of players, you know, a lot of players did score a lot of penalties. I mean, Bruno Fernandes does did score a lot of penalties in his half a season at Manchester United. I think if he'd had a whole year at Manchester United as a penalty taker, he may have got near 15 penalties. So I don't think that's a, um, an awful guess. Um, I do think the handball law... Uh, definitely was a talking point throughout the year. So I don't feel like that was a particularly uh, bad suggestion. No, that was not terrible. However, moving on to Eddie Howe moves on from Bournemouth for a top six team during the season. That was a bad prediction. Um... Right. I mean, to be fair to him, he might move on to the top six championship side. So if we, if we wait this one out, that might actually get proven true. What's happened here is Bournemouth were rubbish and how and Bournemouth went separate ways after Bournemouth got relegated. So, yeah, that was a uh, shocking prediction, frankly. I think how moving on, though, for him and Bournemouth was actually quite a good... It was obviously after, unfortunately, obviously them going down, obviously, which is a horrible thing for everyone involved. But I think that was probably the right decision. And it could very easily be one of those where I'm not going to defend you and say, I think he'll get a top six job. But if he sits out maybe the next six, seven months... If, say, for example, Moyes, let's just say, moves on from West Ham, I think you could easily see Hal's name get thrown around endlessly in the papers. I would not wish West Ham upon Eddie Howe. No, but I can see him back in the Premier League not too, not too you soon. Can, you can easily long. see him if take a bit of sabbatical almost, and obviously his stock will rise from that, and then he'll inevitably get another job down the line. I don't think it'll be top six. Mm, no, I think Everton... It's possible if Ancelotti doesn't work out, but obviously they're pretty committed to him. Um, 
obviously he'll be on quite a big contract. I don't think he goes anywhere anytime soon. But definitely a top half Premier League team wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. No, it's hard to see currently. I know it's before the season, obviously, it's very hard to see a place for him. But I could easily see one. I would also just, I'd like to say that I don't actually think for somebody like how who needs to obviously get his ideas across, I don't think he should come in halfway through a season if, say, a Palace is struggling. Even if they want to, say they move on from Hodgson, which obviously I know is another one that you predicted, and they want to maybe play slightly playing a bit more attacking football after his defensive side, I think Howe's the sort of manager who would need a whole pre-season to be able to get his ideas across. If he came in in, say, January, February, even if they weren't in trouble, I think they might struggle to adapt quickly. Okay, well, your next prediction, Matt, was Gareth Bale, after being frozen out of Real Madrid, spends the second half of the season on loan at United. Now, that's a bold prediction. Yes, but I can be... I'm happy with it. I'm happy-ish with it, as in he did get frozen out of Real Madrid. I think he was already frozen out of Real Madrid before the start of the season. He's been frozen out since day one. Well, either way, he did not spend any time on loan at Man United, so you're not having any points for that either. Okay, so your next one was Alexis Sanchez finds some form, scores 10 league goals. Now, before you try and claim a point for this one, I should point out that he was still at United at this point. Oh, no. Like, see, if I'd said find some form, scores league goals at Inter... Now we're talking. Yeah, because I can confirm, having watched a lot of Inter this season, obviously he had quite a few injuries, but when he was playing, whether it was up top with Lukaku or with Martinez, he did seem to slowly start to get his form back, and he does look like quite a key part from next season. So I was very close to defending you then, if you'd done it maybe a month later. Okay, so moving on to Dennis's other predictions. Now, this first one is quite interesting. No Premier League manager to leave before Christmas Day. Yeah. Now, what do we Earlier around about September 3rd? Yeah, do you know how many managers did leave before Christmas Day? Um, it was oh, five. Oh, I was going to say three. That's a, oh, that's a quarter of the so league. In September, Watford sacked Gracia. In November, Spurs sacked Pochettino, then Arsenal sacked Emery. And then at the start of December, Watford again, this time sacking Sanchez Flores, and then Everton sacked Silver. Now, the fact that I've earlier said I want two non-super clubs to win their leagues and now don't want a manager sacked, am I really starting to come across somebody who believes in believes in the heart of it all and maybe doesn't not doesn't see the cynical side of the game? So it's not it's not another great look for Watford. So five managers sacked before the, before Christmas. Two I, of them were except that five is probably too many to try and justify any sort of defence, especially when one of them was inside about four games. Yeah, within a month. Yeah, that's too soon. However, you're about to look a bit better because your next prediction was a player from outside the big six to score 20-plus league goals. Okay. Uh, now, and not only did Jamie Vardy do that to win the Golden Boot, but Danny Ings did it too. And I think you can also technically say, although he does play for the big six, Aubameyang, who obviously got 22 in the end, I believe, or 21 maybe, Arsenal did finish outside of the top six. So you can... Oh, yeah, that depends if you mean big six or top six because obviously top six, Everton, no, Leicester would be in that. If I'd only if I'd only got one of these right, rather than technically both sides, I would have definitely argued my case and tried to defend myself. But I'm, no, I'm, I'm happy with that. I mean, I've but Southampton was certainly nowhere near the top six, so you can certainly have a point for that, as well as you can have a point for your next prediction, which was PSG will reach the semi-finals of the Champions League. Now, this I will openly admit is the only one that I actually remembered from when we did this from the start of last season, and the whole time since restart, although having very little care for PSG. I've been secretly rooting for them. So as much as I wanted Atalanta to win and to get through to the semi-finals, part of me did feel quite happy when they got that late equaliser and winner. No, that was a very good call. 
I just think on the PSG side is they get part of this is because they get a lot of criticism, obviously beforehand for not building a team and just having superstars. They then went out over the past eighteen months. They've signed Paredes, they've signed Herrera, they've signed Gay, who are obviously three very functional centre mids, which they've never really had since they've been in this whole new project. And then they got criticised for making non-flashy signings. And I just think that Tuchel's actually starting to build a decent team there. And I know they obviously lost in the final to Bayern this season. And it's hard to say that they're going to get back next season just due to the nature of the Champions League. There's so many strong teams. No one can really expect to get to a final, even though most teams seem to deem the whole season a successful failure, whether they do. But I just wouldn't be surprised if Tuchel can keep this up for another year or two if they do return to a final and if they maybe can look to press on and actually finally break through that ceiling almost. They've been no, no, that to. was very good. So now moving on to my general predictions. Now, my predictions were very localised. Now, we're based in the southwest here. So I said that Torquay United would finish in the top half of the National League and they finished 14th. And I also said that Plymouth Argyle would finish in the playoffs but not get promoted. But they did end up getting promoted after the League 2 season was cancelled. I'm aware that the outcome of both of those leagues was heavily affected by the lockdown I was fairly close with those predictions, but still, no points for me there. No, I mean, you were very close. And I also think on the Torquay side, if I'm right in saying, I believe for quite a lot of the first half of the season, they were actually in very good form and were actually in the top half and almost were pushing around the playoff spots. So I think until they obviously dropped off and obviously due to the whole COVID thing, I think I think it would almost give you an honorary half point for that one. They did. They started off quite well, but then their season went off a cliff. I, on Boxing Day, I spent it at Heche Park watching Yeovil versus Torquay United, and I believe that finish, game finished 7-2. I'm going to say it's not to Torquay. No, it's 7-2 to Yeovil, and I missed the second Torquay goal because it was right at the end and we'd left. Anyway, so the final scores for our predictions were me and Matt with five points, but Sam Dennis, six points. Oh, wow. Oh, well, guys, done. well, thank you. Thank you very much. I mean, unless that was out of like six or seven, I don't think we can really come out of this with too much praise. I it, up. it was quite hard to get a total because obviously the general predictions were a bit general, but it was about out of 25. Right. Round about, we're looking at just under, or just over 25% for the winner. And I know there's been a lot of scandal recently with the whole A-level and GCC roles, but I don't even think even those results would pass. Yeah, not... I. Yeah, it's not a good result for me. I, there's no real explain my way out of it. Um, especially my Delhi Alley prediction, I probably deserve to finish bottom for that, or you know, at least have points deducted because it was that appalling. But um, I don't know. At least I predicted Liverpool to win the Premier League, which is, you know, it's it's something. So we've not covered ourselves in glory at all here. I think we've definitely put off any potential listeners. But if you've made it this far, please give us a five-star review. I promise that going forward, things can only get better. Thanks for joining us on the inaugural Raven Football Podcast. And a big thank you to Sam Dennis. No, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And Matt Potter. Thank you. You can find more about us on Twitter, at Raven Football. But for now, thanks for listening. Goodbye.